I'm Afshin Ratansi and welcome back to Going Underground, broadcasting all around the world from Dubai in the UAE. This week, in the NATO proxy war in Ukraine's latest escalation, Moscow finally axed its temporary Black Sea grain deal, which allowed exports of grain from Ukraine. This came after a terror attack on the Crimea bridge, where NATO and Asian naval drones were likely used to blow it up. Sound familiar to the alleged Biden blowing up of the Nord Stream pipeline? A U.S. soldier who says the war in Ukraine needs to end now with a diplomatic solution is former U.S. Army officer of 30 years and former chief of staff to President George W. Bush's U.S. Secretary of State, Colin Powell, the man whose 2003 U.N. speech helped catalyze the U.S. invasion of Iraq. That soldier is retired Colonel Larry Wilkerson, who joins me now from Falls Church in Virginia. Thank you so much, Colonel, for coming back on the show. So uh, the 2003 war in Iraq was, uh, you know, WMD, WMD. This, this one really is... The war in Ukraine really is about WMD. Why have you and 14 others signed a letter in the New York Times calling on uh, people to understand the war through Russia's eyes? All of us who signed the letter and many more who, for some reason or other, didn't want to actually be so public, agreed that this is probably as dangerous a situation as we've been confronted in a long time with regard to nuclear weapons probably as dangerous as 1962 in Cuba or 1961 in Berlin. So it was time for a statement to be made, and we found a gentleman to back us. It's very expensive to do that in the New York Times, and uh, we put it in there. Why the New York Times, actually? I mean, it's uh, arguably changed its policy editorially since your letter, because it suddenly started to... At least there was one op-ed uh, that seemed to uh, show some dissent from the uh, ruling uh, class line. Why did you choose the New York Times? Well, one reason I chose it, uh, I recommended it, uh, not that my view was paramount, but is because it was the warmonger with regard to the Iraq war, which was a disaster, is still a disaster. And we saw the New York Times again being a warmonger, uh, advocating all manner of uh, what you might call American warmongering period, London, Berlin, everyone's warmongering all the time. And so that's the best place to put it, put it in the mouthpiece of the war. And so that's why we put it there. At least that's why I wanted it there. One key feature of the letter being the threat of uh, nuclear strikes. I mean, I'm not going to accuse you here, but you know the kind of, um, some might say, fake journalists at BBC, CNN, the usual suspects that uh, cheerled that war in Iraq, let alone Afghanistan, Syria, Libya. Uh, they, they'd probably say, you know what you're doing in that letter? It's uh, caving in to Putin nuclear blackmail. Not at all. Um, as a matter of fact, I have been assured in the last month by some of the highest authorities from Moscow that Putin would not use a nuclear weapon. Strangely enough, I happen to believe them. Um, they're reputable people. They're people that Colin Powell trusted when he was Secretary of State. Um, and I happen to believe... Arguably, he trusted too many people, Colin Powell. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, in this regard, though, I think the statement is a valid statement. And my fear is not that Russia will use a nuclear weapon. It's that some other party, and I include Washington in that, will use a nuclear weapon. Um, that's my fear, not Russia. I don't think Russia is at a point or will be at a point. I did immediately after the 24 February invasion, I thought the prospects were pretty 
pretty uh, good because I watched the Russians bog down so badly that I thought we were making it existential for them. I no longer think that. Uh, I think the situation now made so by us and by Ukraine is clearly on Russia's side. I think all she has to do is hold out in the defensive posture she's presently in, and Ukraine will bleed itself to death on that defensive posture. So I don't think there's a reason for Putin to use nuclear weapons now. Well, that's quite shocking that the United States might want to, but uh, your view does concur, ironically, with the ex-CIA John Kirby, uh, UN, uh, sorry, U.S. National Security Council's uh, John Kirby, who said there was absolutely no indications of them using it. Obviously, it's, a, it's terrible for all the families of... Uh, the bereaved families of those who have died in this conflict so far. But uh, while you've been critical of uh, Antony Blinken, the former um, uh, West exec uh, military contractor, consultant, secretary of state, he has achieved one war aim for Washington, hasn't he, in that Western Europe has become much more uh, than ever, like just another state of the USA and is firmly in the grip of Washington power. You just stated the reason why this cannot persist. Uh, in 1989, when I first joined Colin Powell, he mused in his office one day to me, a freshly captured lieutenant colonel, so I was about to uh, challenge him. He said, you know, Larry, the leaders are all going. Mitterrand, Cole, Thatcher, Major, they're all going. The people with the feet, their feet in World War II are going. Soon there will be leaders in Europe who don't remember the war, as it were. Soon there will be leaders in Europe who will want to act on their own. That is going to happen. And it's going to happen speedily and forthwith with this war going on much longer. I think we're going to see NATO falling apart rather than becoming even more and more unified, as President Biden insinuated. Insinuated, hell, he stated it multiple times in Vilnius. Um, I think we're looking at the dissolution of NATO over time because these leaders are going to go. These leaders are American chosen leaders in many respects, particularly the Secretary General of NATO. When these people go, there are going to be a new crop of leaders. You're seeing polls right now, even in Germany, that show 55, 60% of the people are not happy with their present politicians' policies, and that includes Ukraine. So as time goes by, and I don't think it's going to be much time, maybe 12 to 15 months, we're going to see NATO begin to fall apart, not be more and more unified, particularly if we don't step in and stop this conflict. Well, clearly Germany is in recession. There has been civil uh, unrest right across France and Switzerland, uh, many other countries. But if uh, uh, Russia has definitely said it would respond to any uh, nuclear provocation, and uh, as you say, if the United States were to initiate one, you don't think that uh, National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan, uh, Secretary of State Blinken, uh, Victoria Newland, uh, you don't think they care about their own families when uh, uh, they do this? Because arguably there are uh, Hollywood films about the war that should remind them of the consequences and reality of what it's like to be in a war and the fact there are no winners of even a conventional war, let alone a nuclear one. You know, one of those films is dominating the airwaves over here right now. Well, there, there you go. Oppenheimer. <laughs> uh, I am become death, quoting uh, the uh, Indian religious figure 
Um, I'm not so sure that that's a proper characterization of the present situation, because I think what we're looking at now is increasingly, and I've just reviewed the joint publications, which are the publications for the American military with regard to operations on nuclear weapons. And what I've found is a cavalier attitude toward those weapons. That is to say, they're just bigger weapons. I'm encouraged by the fact that in all of them I reviewed, there is the statement, quote, the president of the United States is the only one with the authority to use nuclear weapons, unquote. Um, that's somewhat reassuring until you think about the presidents we've had of late, and then it's not so reassuring. But I say that because I think we've come into a time again. Look at what we've done. We have annulled or withdrawn from unilaterally or just flat canceled every nuclear arms control agreement painfully achieved during the Cold War. From the ABM Treaty, which my president, George W. Bush, abrogated without a fairly well, all the way to open skies and now finally start because Putin is not about to come back to start after Ukraine. So we have no arms control. We have a military that's talking about nuclear weapons as though they had battlefield utility, developing doctrine for their use and so forth. The Russians are doing the same thing. We're looking at a possibility of getting into some kind of tactical use of nuclear weapons that would, uh, shall we say, customize them, make them actually something that we use on the battlefield. This is disaster for the environment, for people's lives, for everything we're talking about that we want to stop with the Ukraine war as the primary example right now, killing people, displacing people, knocking them out of their homes. We can't make this normal activity. And yet I'm seeing it becoming that in doctrine and doctrine often leads action. Or is it that what gives confidence to Blinken's State Department and uh, the other uh, people in control there in, in Washington, is, is it what gives them confidence their uh, intelligence services? Do they have good spies in Moscow letting them know, look, this is the right policy. We are succeeding here. I know Presidents, not least uh, the one you served, uh, well, I mean, we all know what happened to uh, uh, the intelligence that got to, to him and what happened in Iraq. Is it that they have good spies, exceptional spies in Moscow that gives them the confidence? That could be a part of it. You know, my phrase for the current crew is winking, blinking, nod, nudge. And that's Seymour fine. Hirsch said that on this program, too. You in touch? <laughs> <laughs> I, I just don't give them a lot of brain power. Uh, credit. Um, and the people who are pushing them, the people behind them actually making the decisions or forcing the influence that makes the decisions, I don't give them a lot of credit for thinking about our future and our posterity either. You know, our country now is run by the 0.001% who own about the GDP equivalent of Brazil in their personal family fortunes. These are the people that make the decisions and what alarms me about them. And I've had a, a long discussion with a number of people who agree with me and don't agree with me that this is a very, very mysterious factor. That is to say, they don't give a damn about the future. They just care about their shareholder prices, their stock prices. They care about making more billions on top of the billions they already have. And they don't seem to have any regard whatsoever for even their own posterity. 
that's an extremely dangerous situation when you get people like that influencing those who are in power and those in power are not all that competent and they don't have any concern for the future. It's a mystery to us. We can't explain it. We do not understand why these people do not have any interest, even in their own future, in the future of their grandchildren, in the future of their children. They have no interest in the future. They only have interest in the present and in money. Well, clearly they arguably don't care about the environment if uh, they destroyed the Nord Stream. I understand that you agree with uh, Cy Hirsch uh, that uh, it was the Biden administration that destroyed it. Why do you think uh, the Biden administration was so confident there'd be no retaliation? Russia said, oh, there'll be consequences for that destruction of the pipeline that was spent uh, billions of dollars of German and, and Russian money. But there hasn't really been a reaction to it. I think there'll be a long-term consequence, and I think people who think strategically, and I'm not quite sure that Vladimir does, but I think he does, or at least he has some people around him who do, if you think strategically, the Germans aren't going to tolerate this much longer. And if you're talking about the heart of NATO in Europe, you're talking about Germany. Germany, Germany, Germany. Um, and if you eliminate Germany, if, if Germany suddenly decides they are not best served by fuel that comes in that is far more contaminative than the fuel they were getting from Russia, far more expensive, that this is not really what they want for a future. And we're also bending their both arms behind their back, trying to break them away from China, which is nonsense. I mean, break Germany away from China, the engine of the European economy, away from the engine of the world economy? You got to be kidding me. And yet that's what we're trying to do. This whole business of Ukraine, if you find the root cause of the belief of the Biden crew, is to reestablish U.S. hegemony, which was slipping over Europe. They'll figure that out sooner or later, especially the Germans. And then it's Katie bar the door. We're going to be in trouble because the alliance is going to shatter and the transatlantic relationship with it. Colonel Larry Wilkerson, I'll stop you there. More from the former chief of staff to U.S. Secretary of State Colin Powell after this break. Welcome back to Going Underground. I'm still here with retired Colonel Larry Wilkinson, the former Chief of Staff to U.S. Secretary of State Colin Powell. Thank you so much uh, for what you were saying in part one. Uh, it was fascinating to hear that not only do you agree with the fact that Nord Stream was a Biden administration uh, operation, because we've had uh, undersecretaries of the Navy on this show, head of Moscow Station, uh, they never said that the Nord Stream uh, was a Biden uh, administration terror uh, attack. But you're talking about NATO and its problems. I mean, so the Vilnius summit could be one of the last summits we see of its kind? It might not be the last. We are great at warmongering. We seem to be the most adept country in the world at it, as a matter of fact, which just defies the fact we're supposed to be a democracy and care about things like human rights and such. But in Bush's administration, George W. Bush, I figured that out by 2004, at least. Dumb me, it took a while. We don't give a damn about any of those things. We use those things as sugar coating. We use those things for both international audiences and our own domestic audience as sugarcoating. We don't care about freedom. We don't care about democracy. What we care about is power and money, money and power. That sums up America today. And that sums up what our war instrument is for, including nuclear weapons. 
it's a sad commentary, and yet it is a true commentary. And I'll argue with anyone that wants to argue about it till the cows come home that that's our purpose today. War is a profitable business, and we are in profits. That's why we're selling weapons. That's why we're doing what we're doing in Ukraine. And anyone who tries to assign any other reason to it is just simply nuts. That's what's happening. And the sad thing about it is we have now drug uh, essentially 700 million plus Europeans into it who will figure it out sooner or later, and then we're going to have a breach. And let's see the world divided into the European Union, trying to get its political act together, China, the United States, India trying to figure which one to go to at any pivot point and make a quarter of the world's population, if you will. Um, and that's going to be it. A multipolar world par excellence. And we're going to be sucking the rear end of that world about 90% of the time if we don't stop and get our act together. Not to mention the fact that climate change is going to eat our lunch. Is already eating our lunch. I've just come back from out west. Um, you want to walk down a street where there's nothing but smoke all the time? Ask New Yorkers from the smoke coming down from Canada. Ask people who are looking at water situations that are simply existential for them and fighting with other states out west, trying to figure out who's going to get the water that's left. This is a crisis that if we don't confront right now, this minute, and do it intelligently and competently, forget it. Well, well if, if Biden was responsible for Nord Stream, clearly climate change is something the policy of the United States government is to increase. But in fairness to U.S. media, and obviously in, the, uh, in Western Europe, media is officially all media dissent on Ukraine uh, is, is banned. There's, there's actually official censorship. In fairness to U.S. media, I don't normally say that. Um, you know, we've had Dan Ellsberg on. He, he died recently. I don't think he heard me ever say that, and you are trying to extradite Julian Assange right now from uh, London. U.S. media is beginning to call it a proxy war, the Ukraine war. Do you notice that sometimes, that somehow the United States so-called mainstream corporate media is starting to latch on to the arguments you've been making uh, since uh, February and since 2014? They'd have to be obtuse as a granite rock not to. And they'd have to begin to understand that ooh, we keep up on this thing of warmongering. We're going to lose what little readership we have left because the American people are going to figure out sooner or later, too. Um, you're looking at a situation where the United States is going to be sending, spending, is already spending, if we talk about national security rather than the armed forces, a trillion dollars a year. You're looking at a $32, 33000000000000 trillion aggregate debt, the interest payments of which will consume, plus the defense budget, all of the discretionary federal spending by 2030, maybe earlier. That's the Congressional Budget Office prediction. You can't keep doing that. You simply can't keep doing that. Why are we able to do it now? We're able to do it now because oil is denominated principally in dollars and because we have a military that will smash anybody or sanction anybody or both who objects. That cannot persist. It simply cannot continue. And we're bankrupt for all practical purposes. If we had to pay our debt tomorrow, the interest payments on that debt alone are going to bankrupt us. But if you have to pay the debt in aggregate, huh, sorry, you're not going to do that. And people are going to quit buying our debt around the world. And that's going to be traumatic. 
Um, it's coming, and it's all coming at a time when much of what we do have in terms of resources that are viable should be aimed at meeting the climate crisis. Well, so, some, uh, saying, some say it's speeding up, but clearly, you know, it is still the federal, uh, it is still the uh, world currency, so we might have to wait just a little bit. But then, so are the cluster bombs, and as a military man, you'll probably know more about cluster bombs than, than I do. I mean, is, is that a last throw of the dice? The cluster bombs being sent to damage uh, and kill and maim uh, future generations of children in Ukraine. Utterly obscene. Just like using depleted uranium rounds in, in and around Baghdad. We've got a cancer rate there around Fallujah and elsewhere now in Iraq that outstrips any cancer rate, including children in the I world. I should just interrupt that the British government says depleted uranium is completely safe. Uh, right, uh-huh. And I've I've got some swampland in Florida. I'll sell the British government. This is stupid uh, to do this sort of thing. They should have been outlawed a long time ago. I thought they were going to be outlawed along with landmines and other things. Look at the landmine proliferation in Ukraine. We're going to be cleaning up that area of the world for the next 20 years, just like we're doing in Vietnam. We're still cleaning up Vietnam from the landmines and other munitions that are in Vietnam. Um, 12 and 13 year olds lose arms, hands and legs almost weekly in Vietnam still. We've got a little bit of headway going on right now, but that's that's the detritus of the empire's wars. That's the detritus of America's war. And all of this so that Lockheed Martin and Raytheon and Grumman and a host of other defense companies can make filthy lucre off these weapon systems. But is it a last throw of the dice? Or, I don't know, you're in Virginia, maybe your neighbors know, is it, or is it part of the escalation once they said only helmets to the Ukraine war, then it was, you know, this or that missile, then it was Patriots, then it was tanks, and now it's F-16s. Is the cluster bomb the last in that line, or does it go further? I hope it doesn't go any further. I hope it doesn't even go that far. I live. Oddly enough, ironically enough, I live amongst some of the titans, General Dynamics, Lockheed. This is one of the richest, if not the richest, counties in America. And it is so largely because of the lawyers for and the CEOs and COOs of the weapons industry. You should bring your neighbors in for the next time we do the interview. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to have coffee with them someday, but they don't have coffee with the likes of me. No. Um, just driving around this area will tell you what's happening. Just driving around America and look at, looking at military bases will tell you what's happening. Taj Mahal's. I've never seen so much money spent on the military. They don't know where to spend it. They haven't got a clue how to spend all this money. So they wind up at the end of each fiscal year with billions left over that they haven't spent. This is obscene. But we're doing it because we're increasing the profits astronomically of these people who run these merchants of death companies. I mean, do the neighbors have Ukraine flags out? They've, they've subsided in Western capitals in, in uh, Europe, but people say there's a lot of money in, uh, uh, let alone the Hamptons, but in that Virginia, Maryland area uh, since the Ukraine. There is. There are not too many flags out now. There were some in the beginning. I think the American people basically are, are, are waking up to the fact that something's wrong here and that this war has gone on too long. At the same time, though, you have profits generated and no blood. That's the best of all possible world for these CEOs and these people who run these arms companies. They're not killing any Americans, and yet they're making a fortune off the weapons that are sold into this conflict. 
Um, that's the best of all possible worlds for them. You sit down at a, a at a shareholder meeting, and you say, "Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, business is good, war is good. We're making profits out the yin yang, and you're getting your share price. You're getting what you want. You're getting your dividends and so forth. So this is great until it ends, and it ends badly." If we put China to one side, the next war that's openly being talked about, would Trump end the war in Ukraine? That's a good question. Uh, he would say he would, but like all the other wars he said he was going to end, I doubt he would do it. He didn't initiate uh, any. Yeah, the, the Republican Party is buried in this oligarchy that I spoke of. So is the Democratic Party, whether it's Chuck Schumer or Steny Hoyer or whomever. Obviously, RFK Jr. is also running, but uh, opposed to the war. The the Republican Party, from Mitch McConnell on, they're, they're buried in this complex. They get reelected because of this complex and the money provided them by this complex. So he, he could do, certainly more than any main Democrat contender. I just don't, I, I don't see, tr my main problem with Trump, besides so many others that you would know, uh, is he's not as smart as he says he is. And he doesn't understand how the government works. And he doesn't understand that draining the swamp means you have to go in, grab the alligators by the neck and choke them to death. He's, a, he's, he's afraid to do that. People are, people are afraid of doing that kind of thing. I think we've had examples yeah. of what happens when you speak on draining the swamp. Maybe you're one, one of the examples of what happens to people. I don't know. Just finally, on Western Europe, I mean, is, uh, as I said, Germany was in recession. Is that uh, region of the planet just going to decline uh, geopolitically, economically, culturally? I don't think so. You've got... You know, roughly 700 million with a GDP that's equivalent of ours, 22, 23 trillion dollars. It's not going to get the grain, of course. It's not going to get the yeah, grain from the Black Sea grain deal, the rich countries of Europe. Yeah, well, factor out the 140 million Russians, and you, you have a significant schism there that's going to cause a problem, at least those from the Urals to the uh, West. They ought to be a part of this European Union, too. But if it ever gets its political act together, and I know that's a huge if, um, they probably will be the power to reckon with in the future. Now, that is from two, two aspects of their future, I think. One, they probably have the best handle on the climate crisis of any other region in the world. And two, they have that economic potential. If they could bring the Russians back in, if Europe could be whole and politically sound, and that's a big if I know, I think they'd be the power point in the world. And maybe they could lead the rest of the world in the confrontation of the climate crisis. Is it going to happen? Is this war going to sunder that possibility for at least a decade or so? It well could. And that's a tragedy. Um, and there again, the blame will be laid at the feet of Washington, London, Berlin, all the capitals that simply couldn't get their act together and stop this war. Stopping this war would be really simple if you just sat down and thought about it and you didn't let the oligarchs of the war industry rule your day. All you have to do is start talking. Colonel Larry Wilkinson, thank you. Surely.
That's it for the show. We'll be back on Monday with the former director of the Kenya Anti-Corruption Commission, Professor Pierlo Lumumba, ahead of next week's Russia-Africa Summit. But until then, you can keep in touch via all our social media if it's not censored in your country and head to our channel, Going Underground TV on Rumble.com to watch new and old episodes of Going Underground. See you Monday.